This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, it's counting off. It's going. It's running. Yay! Is it running? Mm-hmm. It's counting? It's, it is. Okay. Yeah. Did you want to see it? Where are the numbers? Oh, it's actually, kind of. Eight. You see it? Oh, my gosh. There's the numbers. Yeah, they really are. We're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we're at the BB20 event. It's uh, it's Thursday, and it ends tomorrow. And, it's, uh, and the people here are Paul... Mike Hossel, Bo Davidson, Ash Jackson. Okay. And um, so big news, like about, what, 25 minutes ago, the first person ever got PEP1 certified. Yay! (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Your father smells like elderberry. (laughs) So, so, all, all right. So, Mike. Mike, you're the first person to get PEP1 certified. Yay, thank you, Paul. <laughs> it feels so good to be, yeah, finally got there. I've been working on it since last... A year and a half. It's been about a year and a half. Like that, yeah. It was because when you arrived here a year and a half ago in the spring, did you have any BBs done at that point? I, yeah, I think I had several. I think we you wanted everyone to have five or ten before they showed up, and I think I almost I think I had maybe that many. And I think that the, how many of the other people had even one? I don't remember a lot of them. (laughs) I did. How polite. (laughs) I can't remember. Some did, some didn't. I don't remember. It was kind of a short notice thing, I think, for some people. So, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a fun little event. I mean, did we do two weeks back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was uh, it it used the same style we used this year, which which we refer to as clusterfuck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that one was maybe a little double the fuck and half. And an extra cluster. <laughs> it, it was it was a free for all with some with plenty of guidance from a frustrated Fred and a few other people. But we were all on our own figuring out. Well, you know, we everyone had. What do you want to do today? Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, that sounds like fun. And then we all did it. Yeah. Or other people did it, and then you'd wander off. Oh, I'm going to do this, and nobody's watching. So you quick build a dry stack wall or something. So this one, with my years and years of experience, I was kind of leading, kind of herding the cats a little bit. So we kind of you know, know a little bit more about how to do things a little more efficiently. So we got, I think, a little bit more done, maybe a little smoother, possibly kind of. Fred might be less frustrated. Yes. Now, I hope. at the Permaculture Technology Jamboree that is coming next summer, there is a uh, skip track. Yes. And, and for that, you have a schedule. Yes. And there is another track, which I can't remember, what, like the homesteading, homesteading skills. Yeah, yeah, the homesteading skills track. And that one, so the skip track is kind of like it's designed for everybody who participates to get their BB. Like the focus is on the BB. And then the homesteading skills track, which is running in parallel, 
is like everything there you can do as a BB, but the focus is on doing the thing. And some people will just take pictures as they go, and, and that'll be their BB. Yep. Yeah, homesteading skills would be a little more of your, a little more like a traditional kind of workshop you thing. Somebody's there to kind of teach, do a little teaching, do a little talking, a little hand holding, a little more hands on, and go at the speed of the students. Mm-hmm. It's still on a schedule, but uh, yeah, the skip track is going to be a little more uh, um, time focused. Where we've got to get these things done, and the more homework you do, the better. <laughs> we're Trying to pack all this into those two weeks plus the skip event the next two weeks after and mm-hmm. trying to pack in all the badges, it's still going to be a struggle. I learned a lot in how to how fast things go here this time, is, yeah. and uh, I'm hopeful we will get everything perfect for the next summer. So I, I guess what I'm doing is I'm trying to mention that, okay, for this event we're using the, the clusterfuck technique, yep. which is just kind of like... Jump in. What do people want to do? Let's get it done. A lot did get done, and we're going to cover a lot of that. Um, but it's it's a little bit more loosey-goosey and a little bit more major. Kind of get an idea of, like, how to go about presenting a lot of these pieces, how to go about making it more formal at the PDJ. And, of course, immediately after the PDJ is the skip event itself, which is more like continuing on with the skip track, sort of, kind of, but it's the bigger thingamabobs. It's yeah, it's a, more of the same and just as awesome, only with its own name and no other uh, instructors around doing other silly things like rockets and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> between the skip track of the PTJ and the skip event following at that four-week period, if somebody or when many people join in for that whole four weeks, the plan is with some pre-work, doing some BBs in advance, and doing some at night here on, in your spare time, you should be able to get to a PEP one certification, just like me. <laughs> okay, so um, I think, I mean, we've covered it in this podcast several times already, but, um, and you and I, I know, have, have talked about it. So if you, if, if somebody shows up and they've got, I think we talked about, like, they've got five BBs done before the PDJ starts, and then they, they focus on skip through the PDJ and the skip event, that by the end of it, very high probability that they are PEP1 certified. Is that and then that's a four that's four weeks at this time. Yeah, if they are motivated and and can, and yeah, it's it's going to be a fast-paced, action-packed thing. But yeah, if yeah, if you do all the the pre the recommended pre-work or have some BBs done at home that save you time here, yeah, it'll be even easier. So do lots of BBs and then yeah, should it's yep, it is possible to get your prep one during this combined event. And then I think that, uh, like, five years in the future, we could optimize it so much that if you show up with, like, a dozen BBs already done, that you might, after an intense two-week course, uh, and and you're you're already giving the look, that, that, like, maybe a third of the class would leave with PEP1 certification. 
Sure. <laughs> Five and, years, right? Yeah. And that's that's sure as in no. <laughs> <laughs> that's sure as in I'll know a hell of a lot more come August of 2021 after we've done this. And uh, let me see how it actually goes. Okay. Like I mean, corralling six eight people to do a ho- to do a hoogle in a certain amount of time, or and yeah, it's just a lot of it's hard work. I mean, if you peter out. It's going to be hard to get her done if you uh, can't keep working. So, it, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but you'll learn a lot of skills and you'll be awesome. Okay. I mean, I, I kind of feel like that when I first sat down and designed this, that that was the initial goal for PEP 1, is that it could fit in a two-week course. And that it would be an intense course, but that at the end of it, you would be walking out with some pretty pretty major accomplishments. And, and you know, I, I kind of, I've been asked something fairly recently, so I just kind of want to say that, that there are some people who feel disconnected from the world, who feel like they don't matter or don't there's no value to their being on this planet and um, they feel that their existence is rather pointless and I kind of feel like this is a great way because it's like oh I'll go take a class in economics you know and I, I kind of feel like when you get to the end of that you know do you feel like you've accomplished something but I, I don't know I guess what I'm trying to go with is to say I like to think that should we get this down to an optimized format and it can all be squeezed in to two weeks that um, that a person doing that 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 would that might add some substance to their existence that that might be great uh, something really great to put on your death resume look what I got done this is this is something very substantial I impressed me as opposed to you know anybody else which I think the economics one would be I don't know did you impress you <laughs> but I'm not sure I, I've, I've never been a great student of economics I forget what the question was, but there I was <laughs> yeah, all, right, all right, all right, all right. I remember the question. Uh, this is Ash. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, Paul. A lot of the BBs in PEP 1 are things that I think almost anyone would be impressed with themselves for having done. Whether, you know, let's say that they're skilled in one thing, but they don't have, you know, they're skilled in metalworking, but they're not skilled with round wood woodworking. After they've made that three-log bench, they're going to be impressed with themselves. It's not about, you know, getting approval from anybody else or a degree or whatever. It's about, like, oh, yeah, I did that, and I was able to make that positive change in the world with that Google culture and also cramming knowledge into my head. So, yeah, I agree with you that PEP1 certification is absolutely something that is death resume worthy. And I kind of also think that in time, when there's enough people who have become PEP1 certified, that others will value that certification. I, um, I, I would even go so far as to say it's possible that to some people, at least a few, PEP1 certification might have greater value than uh, PDC certification. Uh, yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, there's great PDCs, but there's junk PDCs, and you cannot verify anyone's skill level because they went through 
this or that BDC. But this is the proof is in the pictures. You have these skill sets, and not only that, but you have the ability to pursue skill sets that you didn't have before and attain some level of mastery. And I don't feel like that comes from most PDCs. Hmm. Now I haven't taken a PDC. Sorry, Paul. I haven't taken a PDC before. Um, have you? Uh, or in PDCs, like uh, do you drive an excavator? No. <laughs> okay. No. And ours, yeah. you do. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> not when you're taking your PDC online. <laughs> I did not drive an excavator for that. <laughs> That's true. So you've got my, you've got the online video. Yeah, okay. Are you enjoying that? I went through it uh, in almost real time, and I did enjoy it. And I don't think I got out of it what I would have had I been present. And part of that's my own personality. Part of that's just when you're out of the space, you don't quite osmose the stuff that you would if you were present. And I'm still really glad I did it. It gave me a much better language for things that I really craved. And it prepared me for, you know, pep, among other things. Nice. Yeah. I think that when you're all done with the PDC, what you have is the certificate. So you have a piece of paper that says, you know, we, the undersigned, say this person showed up and presented and did the things that is expected for a PDC. And then you got the other piece of paper, which is basically your design, which is probably done with crayons or colored pencils. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's looking like... Um, a uh, 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 sixth grader did it kind of a thing um, which is cool which is good that's fine but it's 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 not exactly the most these I mean these are two pieces of paper right and so then it's kind of like alright well um, whereas with the pep thing then of course you've got and I was I was going to say that uh, it's about 80 BBs but, but Mike is estimating he just looked it all up and he said that it was about 95 BBs to get PEP1 certified for the path because you pick which 16 sand badges you want out of 22 and so for the ones that he picked he ended up doing 95 BBs but I think I think I did the math once and it seemed like for the average was going to be about 80 but that would mean that there's probably something on the order of 200 different pictures of you doing 80 to maybe 95 different things. And then when you click on the PEP1 button uh, for, for Mike or for whoever or for you, then it'll start to you know expand out and show all the different things that were done to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it's... Kind of, it's actually a lot richer than a than an, a resume. Like if you're going to say like, I want to come and do a thing at your place. I'm PEP one certified, and they can like look at what makes up your certification, and it's a it's, it's significantly more substantial than any resume. I would add to that. Um, instead of two pieces of paper, um, Mike, I bet you have more than just a couple pieces of paper at home from all of your pep BBs. Yes. <laughs> like what? Um, okay. Do you have a spoon? Oh, I see where you go. Yes, I have a spoon. I have a round wood um, food stand or roadside food stand that I built. Oh, you got to describe that. Okay. So. Two years ago, we wanted to sell food out at the road, so I got an old wooden box on cinder blocks and set it out on the road and put some food in it and sold some. 
Um, the neighbor had some pine trees go down, and we peeled them and saved, or I peeled them and saved them. And this spring, thought yeah, it would be fun to build a little better food stand instead of using two by fours. It's like oh, I'll get those logs out from under cover and and build something. So made a roundwood food, uh, skittable roundwood food stand with branches that bend and have a little art to them. The roof's all got some squiggle to it, and it's beautiful and pretty and sold more food this year. I'm sure it was because the food was better, but <laughs> at least six neighbors have said, we love your food stand. It's so cute. So, I mean, learning how to do the ain't notching and designing with wood that isn't nice and square like a 2 by 4 there's a skill to that and mm-hmm. piecing that together now I'm not afraid of doing roundwood stuff anymore mm-hmm. and I, I got to that point because of well spending time out here doing roundwood for the pep event last year and yeah I got all kinds of artifacts around so yep, stuff like that I got little tinctures in the cabinet and food in the jars in the basement and all kinds of yeah, artifacts. So you did. So for Pep One, you did things that you had not done before, and you're already on land. Like you're already homesteading and doing all kinds of stuff. But for Pep One, you did things that you hadn't done before. Oh yeah, definitely. Maybe a quarter to a third of the things that I did were things that I'd done before. Like replace. I've done a lot of remodeling and stuff. So the plumbing, the electrical. And and the homesteading badges were a lot of things I'd done before. It's like, oh, I had to replace a sink for this BB. I've done that five <laughs> times before. I don't need to replace my sink. And then go figure six months later, our church needs a new sink. So, okay, I'll do it. me, pick me, pick me. Well, no, I was getting stuck with it anyway. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> oh, the handy I'm guy. give you that one, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yep, so... All right, so then um, uh, about a quarter to a third of the stuff is stuff that you would have done anyway. And then the rest of the stuff was stuff that you would not have done, but you, it sounds like you're saying that, that it's good that the framework was there, and then it took you into a, into areas that you wanted to go anyway, but it kind of gave you that extra bit of nudge. Like like for creating the honor system uh, food stand out of roundwood, how how much longer might that have taken if it weren't for you know Pep nudging you along? And I I would have made some, and I never would have made a roundwood one if I hadn't have done Pep in the first place. If, you know, if it wasn't for this whole program, I'd have made a, a food stand out of two by fours and plywood or something, or well, probably not plywood, regular wood. But yeah, so because of Pep, I made it pretty and learned more skills and and made it out of roundwood. So, and you were saying that folks on your street ask you about it now. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. I'd, I think five or six neighbors have said they love the food stand, and I don't know if they've said that they buy extra stuff because of it, but lots of positive feedback about how cute it is, and how did you get trees that bend like that? How did you get them to match? Well, they had multiple trees that all the bends, and I had lined up two that match. I've been growing those for 60 years just so I could build this this honor system food stand, see? So. <laughs> and I put the bend in them like that to make it a little special. So, 
I guess that if you built it out of two by fours, you probably wouldn't be getting the the feedback that you're getting. Does that seem fair? Yeah, very fair. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now you got PEP one certific- certification, and um, uh, the big the big question. Oh, and I should point out. Okay, so you got this. It took you a year and a half to get PEP one certified, but. It sounds like you've got a lot of BBs already done well on your way to PEP2. How, how, much, how much farther do you think you have to go? Like, like how far into PEP2 do you think you already are? I'm probably about a third of the way into it. And it's, when you're looking at PEP1, it's huge. And, you know, oh, I'll never get there. Wait till you look at PEP2. It's, it's, there's another big jump step up from there. So I've been working on a lot of the stuff for PEP2, a lot of straw BBs and things like that. So I've been working for a while. I, I'm guessing I'm a third of the way there, maybe. All right. So PEP1, you have to get 16 sand badges. What do you need for PEP2? Step two is one wood, seven straw, and the rest sand. Okay. So it's a total of 22, so that'd be. Carry the seven. <laughs> I can't do the math in front of the microphone. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So, um, uh, you're well on your way already. Um, 14. 14. What was your mo- what's your motivation to do this? Why do you why do you care? Well, I I think it comes back to as a Boy Scout, and I like the merit badges. Okay. And and I I don't know if I've I'm a, got a collector mindset where I go, there's something I can do this, and I get a little badge, and I I'm, I'm messed up in the head, I guess. So that's my motivation is just to try to get there. A little bit about the learning, a little bit about the achievement, a little bit about getting another badge below my name. Uh, just, uh, I guess you yeah, got to get them all. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does seem like your account at, at Permies, I mean, yours has the most stuff under it right now. So that's kind of cool. It does seem like when you go and you write a post to something, it, it does, I would, I think that it gives your voice more authority than other voices. Like if, if there's a conversation happening about something, it does seem like, you know, because of all of that stuff there, it, it's kind of saying, no, this, this guy's more of an authority than you because he's got all these badges and stuff. He's getting it done. He's doing it all. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, probably. I'm. I don't know how people always think when they read a post. If you, yeah, it depends if you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, it probably helps. It 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 can't hurt. All right. Well, congratulations on reaching Pippin. Oh. I have I have one last question for you, Mike. Uh-oh. As the very first person who's been PEP1 certified, which of your sand badges was your favorite experience? Oh, prob- uh, probably Roundwood. Nice. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. sim- uh, simple things like carving a spoon. I didn't have the stuff to carve a spoon with, so luckily they had it out here at Wheaton Labs. So, and everything from that to the three log bench was cool. The berm scaffold siege ladder thing was kind of weird but cool. And yeah, just being able to whack a whale away on wood and 
stuff like that. So yeah, I think that was probably my favorite. Cool. Now, last year when we did this, then I kind of felt like the feedback was is that for all the people that had done all the things for two weeks, that the thing that they were most happy with, most proud of themselves, like they were, they had impressed themselves the most, was the scaffolding, which is, you know, it's not exactly um, a huge thing. Well, it's physically it's large. It's not exactly something where people use it a lot and it's kind of out in the rain, so it's going to rot and and stuff like that. But um, it it does seem like something where it's like that's some real joinery there, and you kind of get to be a little sloppy. But you could, if you wanted to, make it be a perfect fit. But I think as you're trying to make it be a perfect fit, you realize <laughs> no, <laughs> this is this perfect fit is. Really really hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so it's a good thing it doesn't have to be perfect <laughs> yeah especially so. with someone who's just starting out doing roundwood woodworking i did my a year ago i did my hookle scaffold and uh i'm with y'all that's hard and my day job is working in three-dimensional space and working in negative space and oh i couldn't make my brain work right to make the joints and i was just kind of cutting and testing and fitting and cutting and testing and fitting until finally with a good heave made it made it fit it's not pretty it's serviceable you can walk on it you can harvest from the higher parts of the you know gosh 10 foot tall hugel cultures out in the garden how tall are those i think that one where you built yours was um it's about 12 feet okay so yeah um and I would agree that that's a tremendous artifact and accomplishment, the Hugel scaffolds. And that's that's part of what I love about PEP, is that every single BB results in some tangible result that's more than just a piece of paper. It's you carved a spoon, or you made a mallet, or you cleaned your kitchen, or whatever. But everything results in a thing. And doing... Doing the action physically, it's very different than PDC or four-year degree. It is beyond intellectual skill building, and it's like an embodied skill. You have done it with your body, which I feel like is lacking in our society right Mm -hmm. now, and I feel like there's a genuine hunger, whether or not people have the articulation for it, for an embodied wisdom that's lost in current Western culture. And it's been really rich to, to build that and to have those keys to offer people to being reconnected to their own whole selves and their ecology too well said it's an intellectual challenge in, in addition to being a physical challenge right yeah, yeah well said though. you didn't just brain that scaffolding up there oh know? yeah it was even yeah. even and pulling and cutting <laughs> and everything else yeah. too because when you look at the scaffold I mean it's like okay you got two straight lines and I'm going to put a horizontal line on it but then the hugel has this bend and then the things are elevated off the hugel and no line is going to be straight and you probably don't have a level or even a two by four to make your straight line. So it's a uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's an eye opening sort of thing for the complexities in working in those three dimensions. So now you did your scaffold yesterday, is yes. that right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so now would would earlier I, I threw out the thing saying like you know when people went home they were talking about the thing that was the most that that fed their soul the most was the scaffolding. How does it fit for you? 
I enjoyed doing it, but I've, I'm in the middle of a number of Roundwood projects back home, so oh. it lacked the newness, I think, for me. Uh, it's interesting because of the various dimensions. You know, everything I've done at home is like correct angles, and it's Roundwood, but it's it's linear, and you can draw it on a grid much easier than a Hoogle scaffold. But I think the thing that fed me the most was metalworking today because that's been such a foreign thing to me for forever. Um, so, yeah, that's been really cool. All right, let's let's jump in. Let's jump into that. Penny, you gonna join us? Sure. Come on, Penny. Uh, so Come you on. You're up. You were out cooking some pizza in the rocket oven, and yeah. night, and now it's ready. It is. Okay. All right. All right. Are we gonna pause and eat it? Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we just got done talking about Mike's Pep One. And uh, now we're going to move on to Monday. 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 And so a uh, big part of Monday was Hoogle culture. Hoogle culture. Hoogle culture. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. What do you guys got for Hoogle culture? I mean, I know we went out, we picked a spot on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, the math, the original math I was told was like, we need to pick 70 feet. There's going to be 70 feet of Hoogle culture built. But I what I saw there was a lot shorter than that. It was like 30. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, with the participants we had and the desired number of hoogles in length, yeah, we ended up with 30 feet. So Penny Bow and Opalin did six footers, and I did a 12 footer. Okay. So, yeah, we just did a 30 foot section curving alongside the fence in, uh, behind the Abbey. And. Yeah, that's where we put it. We didn't need all 70. Okay. Who who was it? That, so everybody got to drive the excavator, right? Because the excavator was operating this Hooray! time. <laughs> all right. Is uh, who who uh, is, was it? Your first time driving an excavator? Me, Bo. Yes, yes. me. Thank you. <laughs> me, Ash. I had done an excavator before. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I know right. Opalin had done it before as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. That's so, so fast. And and I, it does seem like for nearly any event we do here that when people go home they're like the number one thing. Now I'm trying to say number one thing is scaffolding, but I'm learning now that no, it's the metalworking. But how did how did the metalworking thing compare to driving the excavator? I was more rewarding because it was more daunting. Um, excavator driving is a skill I want to have, but I was less impressed with myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> jerking and touching the money. Holy hell! Driving the excavator was fun. <laughs> I had so much fun. It was the best ride at perm- permaculture Disneyland. <laughs> it does. It does seem like a lot of people really, really enjoy it. Um, <clears throat> all right, so. Any anything to say about the the Hoogle culture? I mean, I think that uh, you guys came up with a system so that you could all make one big one, and each person would take responsibility for a piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were the was there any what were the discoveries? What are we going to do better next time? Things of that nature. Well, we built it in the trench on both sides, uh, both side method uh, shown in the VV. So you kind of need the excavator for that. You have to dig on the far side and pile on top of your wood. And then once you think you've dug deep enough, then you start digging on the near side because you can't see the far side anymore. So that that style worked with the excavator. The issue we had was with four hoogles touching and a novice at the wheel of the excavator with a 30-foot death reach. <laughs> we... 
when the excavators on one end, the person on the far end could lay wood and all that, but the people in the middle are kind of twiddling their thumbs. So, so yeah, we learned the excavator is great, and it's also limiting in how much we can do. So I'm trying to think of ways to maybe use the tractor instead or a combination of the two or something. Or how to, We don't want to have the excavator driving all over the place to do people's hoogles safe. Yeah, so it gave me as a instructor for next summer some some good good stuff to think about. But yeah, that's one thing we learned. The the excavator is awesome, but it's uh, you don't want to get too close to it if you're not in it. I mean, I would imagine that a lot of it is going to be that you get in there and you fire up the excavator. I mean, <clears throat> maybe I'm thinking that an experienced excavator operator. Um, is going to be like, okay, we need to put some more dirt on this. Scoop, scoop, done. Yeah, scoop, scoop, done. They're, they're, the excavator wasn't even on for a full minute. Uh, but yeah. but with, with people <laughs> yeah. that have never driven an excavator before, then it's like, okay, that was that was five minutes. Four uh, 20. <laughs> <laughs> to get one layer of dirt on? Yeah. yeah. At oh, times, yeah. Oh, shit, I'm paying for all this fucking diesel. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. I think Sorry, if the hoogles had been longer sections, actually, like if each of us had done a 12-foot section, mm-hmm. we might have been able to space out far enough between that mm-hmm. people in the middle could have possibly done more. We'll and I don't think it would have taken much more time to have done a 12 than a 6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kept up with you guys, so yeah. it must have been easy. <laughs> You're hauling more mulch, but other than and a little more wood, but it, yeah, it depends how much wood's available. We were lucky; they just built the fence around the abbey. There was plenty of chunks laying on the ground that we could scavenge. Yeah. So wood was easy to get, dirt was easy to pick up, mulch we didn't have to go too far for. So yeah, we get some optimization ideas from it, but yeah, when. We did it as fast or faster than I thought we would next summer, so maybe we can shave a couple minutes off for something else. I think it can be a one-day project. Mm-hmm. Maybe especially with a team of two or three working on a space, I think it should be a one-day project. I could see two people doing a 12-foot each hookah mm-hmm. culture, so like 24 feet, yeah. and I would think that that would move pretty smoothly. What about... I just thought of something. If we could arrange to have two rows of hoogles that are, the excavator could sit in between yeah. them. No. Oh. Yeah? Because then they swing around. Mm-hmm. It's like the excavator driver can't see the person behind them. No way. I, I, okay. I'd have to, I have to say no to that. Okay. But what I was thinking was, is like one person could be working on their hoogle culture, and, um, and right in that general area, there could be like four other BBs going on. Right. Yeah. And, <clears throat> yeah. So and when you're waiting in line for the excavator ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, uh, and then one person's like building, and then the next person's building, and then when they get the, the fourth person is building their hugel culture, now the first the first hugel culture is now safe right. to be around. The, the the excavator is far enough away that you yeah. can now go and do your mulching and your seeding and and stuff like that. Yeah, the first and the fourth person got farther ahead because they were able to work when it was at the opposite end. It was the two in the middle that got squished. Yeah, they didn't have yeah. much time to work. They never had it. Yeah, unless the excavator was told to shut off. The yeah. two in the middle never had a safe moment. So we, that's where we all got to delay. Okay. But all right. That's okay. Well, yeah, that doing other BBs, and if we combine junk hole harvesting yeah. mm-hmm. with that time, then you're collect your, you know, as you're trimming up your junk holes, that's your mulch for your hoogles. So yeah. it's all 
timely work. So that's probably a way we can combine stuff. It won't look as pretty on a schedule because do gardening this day and jump pole at the same time, but yeah, schedules on it. Uh, but it illustrates the symbiotic nature of this type of work. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if one person just simply builds their own hugel culture, so that's like they got all their wood stacked up there ready to go, and then they'd start using the excavator to kind of drive, because they lay the wood out, now they can drive the excavator. They drive the excavator, and they put a layer of dirt on top of that, and then they stop the excavator, they get out and they put more wood on it, and then they go back and forth until the whole thing is built. Can they get the whole thing built in an hour, just building it, not mulching it and seeding it, just building it, and their wood is already there ready to go? I think so. Probably, Probably yeah. yeah. So Some I'm of it was we didn't know what size of wood we were doing, too, until we kind of saw what size pile we had again, and we're like, okay, next layer needs to be this big. Yeah, we were cutting all the wood as, you know, you built the pile up and you, you lay dirt on, squish it kind of flat, and said, okay, I need 18-inch logs this time. So you go cut a bunch of 18-inchers off the junk pile and go okay. lay them on. So there's a little bit of that. But with some, yeah, you could cut a whole bunch of random-sized ones and have half of them. Or figure that each one was going to be a foot less or two foot less or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or at least have it right there. So, yeah. All right. yeah hour is possible <laughs> if you're the only one. Yeah. On Monday, the other thing you guys did was rocket cooktop. Since we were right there by Allerton Abbey, we each took turns during waiting for the excavator moments to go fry an egg or do something else on the cooktop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What'd you think of that using that cooktop? It's slick. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, batch boxes are the best. <laughs> if you push the button. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, we'll just let that one go. Okay. I think I've got like seven podcasts yeah. filled up about um, uh, batch boxes. Okay. That rock, it worked great. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry, no, go That rocket cooked up at the Abbey. I love that. I ran it last year at the um, at the PEP event. I love how you can see the flames inside yeah. the cooktop, and I love how hot the hot part of the stove gets. Mm. Like you're boiling water. I didn't I didn't boil water on it. I wish I had, but I imagine it's faster than damn near anything. We had we had some people that were because because we measured that the temperature at one point gets up to eleven hundred degrees, which I, I think is a lot hotter than any uh, regular cooktop yeah. um, that you can have in your house. And then uh, we got a lot of feedback of like that's too hot. You you can't cook anything wh- when it's that hot. And you can boil water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're going to boil water faster than anybody else. Yeah. But the the idea is is that there are spots on the cooktop that are hot, and right. then there are spots because it's like the the heat has a path, has like a U shaped path, mm-hmm. and it's like oh yeah you. When you want a certain temperature, you move it to where you want that to be. And then if it's like, oh, I want it to be warmer, you just nudge it a little closer to the hottest spot. Exactly. It's learning. It's like, you know, cooking on a grill outdoors or on fire or something. It's learning. It's a different kind of stove than folks are used to. But you're right. You follow the heat around the stove instead Mm -hmm. of turning dials to, you know, keep a stationary pan at the right temperature. Uh, another experience I got down here is improving willow feeder. What happened? That was me. Um, willow Bank here at Base Camp uh, needed a good occupancy system instead of walking up and knocking on it and saying, Hello, are you pooping in there? And so instead, now what it has, when you close the latch, there's a 
a pulley and a turnbuckle and a string that goes up to a flag, and the flag raises when you lock the door behind you. And the flag is uh, fluorescent blue and can be seen from the far side of the shower shack, probably all the way from um, the driveway uh, where you have line of sight to the to the willow right. bank. So okay. instead of walking up and disturbing someone who's doing who's uh, made a trip to the bank, uh, <laughs> instead you can see it from afar. Okay, cool, Very cool. Uh, firewood. That was me, too. Um, I was here back in August, and I cut some firewood, but not enough for the BBs. So I went back out and did it again and cut up uh, a bunch of firewood and used the... This time I used the splitting ball to um, to split it and stack it up. And I love using the firewood racks out here. Uh, I, I grew up in the swamp. Uh, in the hot subtropical swamp. So I didn't grow up splitting firewood or needing firewood or anything firewood. Um, so this is all brand new experience for me. But um, yeah, the racks and the kindling crackers and all the tools make it go pretty quick for a Gilligan like me. So Tuesday was a continuation of Hugel culture. What happened then? We had it completely constructed at the end of Monday. So that was beginning by raiding the seed bank and selecting the appropriate seeds to uh, meet the requirements for the BB and then we went out there and we sowed the seeds and we gathered our mulch and we took pictures. What kind of mulch did you all use? We used a bunch of uh, pine boughs that came off of mm-hmm. our junk bowls. That nice. was probably the chief mulch. We used straw. We used sawdust mm-hmm. from down here at the uh, base camp. And we used, I used mullen. A bunch okay. of dried mullen that was up there. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, which is the, the next thing on the list, jump pole? Mm-hmm. We jump pulled. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> so uh, the fence at Allerton Abbey is a junk pole fence, which is a system that you can easily Google and learn about. But um, it requires the smaller timbers from the woodlot to be felled, which is advantageous anyway. So uh, the interior portion of Allerton Abbey is already pretty well cleared. So we went outside the fence and took down kind of the scrub trees, the ones that are uh, too close to another more desirable specimen, perhaps. And we took them out. They have to be more than eight feet of usable length, and then we laid them up. Uh, we being multiple people doing their own BB. So I cut down, deland, and laid up ten poles for a junk pole fence. Only ten? I did eleven. You're right. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Um, rocket clean out. Who did that? Me. Uh, So I cleaned out the hot water heater at the shower at base camp, which was a bit of an albatross. Mm. Might even be an edge case. We'll see. The judges are out. So the chamber, the barrel of that contains a water tank, and it is a completely closed system that has delicate baffling inside of it, which makes it tricky to clean out the actual barrel. But I figured out a way to at least get the ash hose in through the small cap on the barrel and remove some ash that is photographically proven to be an improvement. (laughs) Uh, But I got heaps of ash and other debris out of the uh, burn tunnel, out of the whole J-tube, as well as out of the duct cleanup, and it ran better. And part of the BB said uh, it shouldn't smoke out of the places where you cleaned it. And I met that criteria, but it smokes out of another part of the barrel. And I think that's probably just acceptable because it's an outdoor unit, or maybe it 
needs some attention, but it was probably the weirdest, most finicky annual ash cleanout of the bunch, would be my guess. <laughs> okay. Anybody else do ash cleanout? I cleaned out the um, rocket mass heater in the Cooper cabin. I think I might have done it on the following day. Um, that was a pretty standard. It was an easier one, actually, because the lid of the barrel on the rocket mass heater mm-hmm. came off, so I didn't have to lift the whole barrel off. I just undid the clasp on it and lifted oh, the lid off. That's nice. That was very nice, mm-hmm. especially since I was by myself. Oh, yeah. And uh, sucked out all the ash on the inside, much of it, um, cleaned all three cleanouts, cleaned out the the wood feed in the burn tunnel and put it all back together and it didn't smoke nice. so it was awesome good uh how much ash was in it um a considerable amount in um the barrel around the heat riser there's quite a bit there the manifold was probably about half covered which was kind of surprising wow yeah that's probably the it, most i've ever heard of for any of our systems yeah it was it was Quite a bit occluded. So it's still, I think it still had decent airflow, um, but there was a surprising amount of ash in there. Um, and interestingly, at the very last cleanout that's under where the chimney goes up to exit, there was some crusty stuff that kind of almost looked like creosote, but I don't know what it'd be doing way over there. Everything else was the fine powdery ash that you would expect to see. So it was kind of interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think you know, crusty stuff could be soot. Could be. We do get soot here and there from time to time, and there's you know not much we can do about that. Um, but but it generally is pretty clean. Generally, no creosote. But if we get a system that has creosote, we usually jump in quickly to to like okay, then the system is not working correctly for some reason somehow. Let's figure out what's going on. Yeah, I don't know how it would have made it all the way down to the very last cleanout before going up. So maybe. Maybe it was uh, condensation clumped soot. It was pretty pretty hard stuff, but it's easy to look at. You just pull the cap off the end, and I couldn't get all of it out. I'd have to have chiseled it or something. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Maybe we better take a look at that. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.